Avery. Hey, Shahan. <laughs> well, you know, I forgot to start the episode before I, agree- I decided to greet you, so let's get rewind a bit. And- Hi, I'm Jahan. I'm Avery. And you're listening to From A to Xenon, a podcast all about Disney Channel original movies. I yeah. changed it up a little bit this time in a way I didn't expect. I know, you sounded so professional. <laughs> Who are you? Listen, I'm at my lowest. <laughs> I'm drained. I'm stressed. I'm traveling all around the country. Just, just... Listen, same. I was just talking <laughs> off air with Adam and I was like, <laughs> I'm behind. My kids are behind. I'm running away every weekend, like, on a trip. (laughs) We could not be more on the same page. I'm truly, like, trying to work and also trying to, like, have really fun family movie nights because I'm staying with my grandparents. It's like, can you have it all? And that's the question the movie genius asks. (laughs) Beautiful segue. I don't even know. I I couldn't have planned one better. Yes, y'all. We are talking about... The DCOM 1999 Genius, which I had never seen before. Jahan picked this one for, for our episode this month, and I had never seen it. So I, I came in truly fresh, truly blind, ready to watch. I think it's from an era of, of DCOM that I had seen, and I'm not really sure why, but I think it's like in this era that like I have the vaguest memories of them, but like they they're kind of a blank spot for Avery. And there, it's honestly probably one of the weirder eras of decom, I would say. Um, yeah, I agree. Oh. I remember, like, I have a very vivid memory of the poster genius, and like, it's like him, and it's like a cool version of him, nerd version of him, and like, based off the poster, I was like, okay, maybe this is like a Prince and a Popper situation. Like, mm-hmm. we got some twins. It takes two swapping. But I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's... I don't think any single thing about this movie is as expected. (laughs) Just a wild ride from start to finish. Yeah. But yeah, let's get started. So the movie starts and we are introduced to a nerdy boy playing hockey alone in an ice rink. He's in like a blazer, a tie, a full school uniform. He's... um. Charlie Boyle, and he's pretending to be this big hockey star. And then his dad, who runs the rink, uh, joins him and asks him to Zamboni the ice. But, you know, Charlie's about to get out of there. He's got, he's got street hockey to play. But he still has time to help his dad because he has what I would call a Zamboni in a box, which is a small invention he's made that he puts on the ice, and it smooths the ice with the push of a button. Amazing. Yes. I mean, we can tell just very early on that, like, Charlie is a brainiac. And even as he's trying to explain, like, what this thing is to his dad, his dad is doing that very typical, like, in English, like, what does that mean? Um, Which is, it never gets old. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of Criminal Minds over the summer and talking to Spencer Reed. Everybody's like, hey, kid, in English? That's so funny. Yeah, that, that has never gone away. I feel like you could easily write, like... A made-for-TV movie now where it'd be like can you translate that for me yeah I can hear it you know um, but yes so Charlie we immediately know is some kind of genius but he loves hockey and he leaves to play street hockey with the kids and the dad's like oh you think they're gonna let you play this time he's like or well 
he thinks they're going to let him play this time. He's hanging out and he goes up to these bigger, these kids playing hockey and they're like, what makes you think we'd ever let you play? And he's actually invented a new puck that you can use in street hockey in place of a tennis ball because normally you can't use pucks on the street. And they initially are like, yeah, sure, you can play with us, okay. But then he starts talking to them all about Gravitrons and this doctor he's obsessed with, Dr. Crickstein, Dr. Crickstein, and he's like, just talking their ears off. And they're like, you know what? Actually, why don't you just uh, wait on the bench? We'll try to work you in. He starts talking to this girl on the bench and she straight up walks away. Apparently nobody wants to learn about Gravitrons and they never work him into the game. And we see poor Charlie sitting there alone into the night. It's very sad. Yeah, poor Charlie. And then that night at home, he's like tinkering with his hockey stick and his dad comes in with food like to give him dinner and he has letters for Charlie and it's from like all the prestigious schools, Harvard, Princeton, Caltech, MIT, like Charlie is going to college. And this is exciting because not only is he going, he is the first in his family to go to college. Mm -hmm. He's also going to college y'all five years early. Charlie is only 13. Honestly, it's too early, I'll say. <laughs> too early. But two, this kid also looked like a 10-year-old. Like, if you told me he was 13, I would have not believed it. I agree. Across the board, about the 13-year-olds looking 10, I'd say. <laughs> but Charlie in particular, he's got this really sweet round face. He's so eager and he just, he looks like a baby. Yeah. And the dad is like... So, you know, I'll support you wherever, whatever you want, wherever you want to go. I'll help you make this decision. And Charlie's like, I already know. And he holds up the letter from Northern University of Wisconsin. And the way the dad says it, we're like, okay, this isn't an exciting option. It's not like an equivalent of like Northwestern or something. It is like state school, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, but like the way the dad says it, you're like, okay, it's not as exciting as Harvard, Princeton, all the other ones. And the dad's like, didn't know you applied there. And he's like, well, it's all expenses paid. But the dad's like, they're all, all expenses paid, Charlie. <laughs> and we find out that he's sure about Northern because that's actually where Crickstein, the scientist he's obsessed with, has his lab and he would be working with him. And he tells his dad, you know, he's working on the Gravitrons. I could work with him. We could defy gravity. And he's just explaining like all the things they could do if they could defy gravity. And I only mention this. I only get into the specifics here because this single line this throwaway joke is the only time in the entire film we have any suggestion that Charlie has a mother. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we, we bring up mom, but mom's never there. We never see her face. Mom is literally never seen. And he's like, you know, we could keep bridges from falling. We could keep it. And the dad's like, we could keep your mom's souffle from collapsing. And just truly from miles away, you hear the mom say, I heard that. And I just want to know. Who did they get to do that line, Reed? Because <laughs> the only girl in the movie we haven't met yet and she's 13. <laughs> um, the dad's like, are you sure? Because, you know, I've got Harvard here. The dad is really understandably stuck on Harvard. And Charlie's like, the lab is state of the art. There's a particle accelerator under the hockey rink, which keeps it cool. It's science and hockey. My two favorite things in the world are in the same building. When I found that out, I knew it was for me. And it's this really cute, earnest delivery. And I was like, yeah, Charlie does need to go to Northern University of Wisconsin. Don't hold him back, Dad. 
And I think what's really cute here is that his dad is like very supportive. Like he throws mm-hmm. a Harvard letter away. They do a cute little dance to like celebrate him going to college. It's really nice and sincere. It's so sincere. And I will say, yes, when the dad is in this movie, he's incredibly supportive. <laughs> But the truly, we cut away from them dancing and celebrating his college admission to Charlie being alone at college. He walks up to the campus with his duffel bag and a hockey stick and nobody. Dang. <laughs> Dad, where are you? <laughs> they didn't think his parents should drop him off. Because it's one thing. First of all, did your parents drop you off at college? Oh, heck yes. You know Felicia yeah. was there. <laughs> you know right my parents came up to tufts and unpacked me you're telling me you wouldn't go to drop off the 13 year old the thing is it's so funny because this is a completely out of the blue reference but in pitch perfect it's literally considered weird that she takes a cab to college alone like that's the opening scene she like shows up to college just her and everyone's like oh why is that girl here? Yeah, it's weird when an 18-year-old Anna Kendrick does it. It's even weirder when a 13-year-old boy does it. Wild. But essentially what they are saying is that Charlie got himself into college. He's now as much an adult as any other college student. He's on his own. It's so wild to me. Classic decom of like trying to get rid of the parents, but also classic decom putting adult or almost adult responsibilities on these children. Help. Help. Charlie's on campus. Mm -hmm. He goes to the hockey rink to see the team. Shahan, tell me why these hockey players look like they were 25. They were definitely not in college. (laughs) It's the thing is, it's one thing to cast 30 year olds to play college students when you're on Riverdale or something. (laughs) Or on, like, a Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek had a 30-year-old teenager, which kind of worked because the other teenagers were 25, you know? The other boy in this movie is 13. You can't have a 31-year-old playing the hockey player. The age difference was just too striking for me. I was like, dang, these men are old. And they are, because I looked it up, and the actor who plays Mike McGregor in the year 1999 was 30 years old. Help! Oh, no! And the thing is, he looks like an adult Ray Liotta. He does not look young. He does! He looks like he is about to be in Goodfellas. He He does! (laughs) He does not look like a college boy. He does not even look like a de-aged Ray Liotta. He looks like the full-grown man. (laughs) It's so funny, because this is... This is the kid that, oh, this is the guy they're putting next to, again, this boy who looks 10. Charlie goes to the rink. He sees the hockey team practicing. Charlie's more so, and like, I'm I'm getting very detailed about this because like, they don't see that he's there. Like he's in the stands kind of eavesdropping, but like his presence hasn't been known by the team. And so, you know, they're practicing, the lights are flickering and there's like creaking in the hockey arena and the hockey team is annoyed because they have to share the rink with Dr. Crickstein. Like they want their arena back. Mm-hmm. And the coach is like, yeah, they were about to retire him until they recruited. And I quote, some super genius kid to help him solve the mysteries of the universe or some such garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and so also a phrase that I had never heard before was one of the players goes, 
what's the little piff whipper's name anyway? And right on cue, the dean comes and shouts like, Charlie. <laughs> and I'm like, dang. I just want to say they did us a disservice by casting the dean, the dad, and the coach to all look like they're just three middle-aged white guys. The dean and the coach in particular look a lot alike. And they're just like, yeah, you'll get on board. You'll know who's <laughs> You'll figure it out. <laughs> and the dean's like, everyone is so excited to meet you. And Charlie's like, I don't think they are. <laughs> and again, the whole hockey team is looking as he says this. And the dean, the dean knows they're all looking, does not care. And is like, it doesn't matter what they think. If they lose the big game against Rumson, it's goodbye, coach. So, like, clearly, he says goodbye, coach, no win, big game. This dean is, like, very, like, image forward and also, like, clearly does not know anything that's going on in his campus or care. So the coach's job is on the line. There's this game against Rumson that will determine the championship coming up at some point. We know that Rumson likes to play a little dirty. um, But, you know, there's no time for that because hockey players don't matter and the labs do. It's time for Charlie to go see the labs that he's going to be working in. Remember, he chose the school for their state-of-the-art facilities. And we immediately see that the labs are a little bit less state-of-the-art than Charlie was led to believe. Um, the dean immediately, like, bails on him and is like, all right, have fun meeting Crickstein. And Crickstein is thrilled to meet him and shows him, you know, the particle accelerator, all of the things they're going to be working with. And he's like, well, it looks kind of old. And he's like, it's not about looks, it's what's under the hood that counts. And um, at this moment, Charlie fully flashes back to the Harvard letter floating into the trash can. <laughs> he is having regrets. Working with his idol is no longer enough. This particle accelerator is not up to his standards. Yeah, and even Crickstein says like, you know, he could, I mean, it's very clear that Charlie is underwhelmed and disappointed. And Crickstein says that, like, he knows that he's a little disappointed, but it's because the funding is not there. And so, again, even more pressure on this kid to, like, we gotta solve or, like, defy gravity in order for, like, our funding to come. And I'm like, dang. Right. This is, this is a lot for a 13 slash 10 year old looking kid. Oh, <laughs> but... Meanwhile, that happens. And so Charlie has to go to his dorm room and come to find out, guess who he is rooming with, Jahan? Who are his roommates? <laughs> Listen, he's living in what looks to be, a, it's a dorm, but it looks to be a giant frat house and it is filled with hockey players. And his room is star hockey player Mike McGregor's. That's the Ray Liotta of the movie. <laughs> Are we just going to start calling him (laughs) Ray? Mike does not look thrilled to be living with him. And his hockey player room and friends are like, wow, the lair just became the diaper den. Charlie is like, oh, no, this is going to be a long year. Listen, nothing's quite meeting his expectations. And that's probably because 18 year olds don't have realistic expectations of college. What are the odds that a 13 year old would have? Help. (laughs) On top of Charlie having to single-handedly, you know, move into college by himself and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, save scholarship or save, you know, science funding, he also has to teach classes as part of his scholarship. And so he has to go and teach a physics class 
which looks like to me like the physics for jocks class because it's like Mm -hmm. all the hockey players including our mike slash ray character they're all in this class and so you know charlie tries to like write his name on the board and like immediately the mike or the mic like throws i don't even know what was it johan it looks disgusting disgusting. (laughs) yes i don't i truly typed he threw a massive wad of gunk of some sort at the chalkboard and like i understand the effect is supposed to be that it's some sort of spit wad but the size and densities it's impossible it was like a ball of like (laughs) slime yeah this so gross it like looks like I don't even know, like, what you'd clean out of a washing machine or something, you know? Like, (laughs) it's not right. (laughs) It was disgusting. I was, like, so freaked out. But it's clear that, like, Charlie is not going to get the respect from his class. And on top of that, when he goes back into the dorm, the jocks have moved out. Like, Mike cleared out his room. Yeah. Of his things. And what happens, actually, is he says, Hi, I'm Charlie, and I'll be teaching this class. And Mike straight up says, I'm Mike, and I'll be disrupting it. And the class loves that. They ate that up. Just Honestly, though, when I saw that Mike had moved out, I was like, isn't that the dream in college to have a dingle? (laughs) A single the size of a double? That's what they're called. (laughs) If we have any young listeners, that's the lingo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I also understand that you are a 13-year-old who has no friends. Maybe you wanted a roommate because you're alone a lot of the time. He hears kids partying and he doesn't partake or clear. he clearly doesn't feel like a part of things. And also, what does ha- Like, you wouldn't put a 13-year-old alone on a college campus because, like, there is alcohol and partying all around them. Like, what is the expectation? <laughs> it's the 90s. The next day, so he's already building a rapport with Crickstein, who he told, like, Crickstein was like, you know, we don't have the funding, but I know that you and I can discover the Gravitron together and, you know, change the world. And Charlie is clearly, like, on board with that. Like, nothing else is going his way, but he is excited about the science and he is excited about... I I like that he is, like, still excited about Dr. Crickstein, even though it's, like, not what he expected, because it's like, well, this is is still your kind of guy, very clearly. And they, they, like, spend a lot of time together and we see them walking across campus. Charlie's complaining about this this party he didn't take part in and he's like why didn't you just join them which is very funny this adult man was like why wouldn't you a 13 year old join this raucous party (laughs) and and charlie's like because all the other reindeer hate my big red shiny nose he knows exactly who he is he's rudolph he's special and he's different (laughs) and he's like they just don't like me I've had this problem before. I try to make friends. It never works. Crickstein is like, well, a good scientist doesn't keep repeating the same experiment over and over again, expecting to get different results. But also, what would I know? I am a scientist who spends all of my time alone in the lab. So he gives Charlie some advice, but it's also like, take it with a grain of salt. After their little walk on the quad, um, we see Charlie coming out of the lab. And he hears somebody wooing on the ice rink. And it sounds like a like a girl's voice. And so he goes to the rink to see who it is. And who was it? To my surprise, because again, I've never seen this movie. I will say before Avery says anything, I told her I would not tell her who is in this movie, but that she would recognize her and be excited. <laughs> it's our girl, Emmy Ross 
awesome. Am I saying Rossum right? Rossum? Yeah, I think it's Emmy Rossum. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah. I was so excited because I was like, also, she has the exact same face. Like, her face hasn't changed in, like, 20 years. (laughs) Exact same face, but I don't think anyone knew she acted this early. (laughs) Yes. She's the one on the ice rink pretending to be a commentator on her own performance. And it's really cute. And you can already see the stars in Charlie's eyes. Like, it's mm-hmm. love at first sight. It's, it's head over heels. Like, heels, heels, heels. Um, he is already crushing hard. She goes and introduces herself. She says that her name is Claire. And when she asks what his name is, rather than saying Charlie, he, like, does this weird kind of glitchy free it's like oh i'm about to say my name but i need to change it i'm gonna do something different and there's two cuts to two different flashbacks one to the girl leaving the bench when he tried to talk to her earlier and then immediately to the scene prior where krikstein was like why don't repeat the same thing (laughs) and so from that charlie introduces himself as uh, chaz from chicago (laughs) he takes off his glasses whoa and if anyone knows, taking off glasses is a major, you know, transformational point in any makeover for any kid or adolescent. <laughs> and he's just suddenly, like, the thing is, he also suddenly thinks he, he tries to be so smooth. She's like, where do you go to school? He's like, where do you go to school? <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'll see you around. Yeah, you will. He's just saying all the right things, but also very goofy things. But she's very sweet, very nice. And she tells him she goes to Franklin Junior High. And suddenly, the next scene, your boy is registering as Chaz Anthony at Franklin Junior High. This is where we get the makeover. The glasses, it's gone. So funny. Leather jacket, let's do it. (laughs) A giant leather jacket that fits him so poorly, which to be fair is what I was wearing at that age. Like, just a misfitting leather jacket. (laughs) But, um, and also, like, he's had, like, this bowl cut with, like, bangs the whole movie long. And all he's done is push them back. But it did a lot of work to make him look a little cooler. He's put some product in. He's pushed his hair back, so he's cool now. And I will say, throughout the rest of the movie, even when he's Charlie, he keeps the hair pushed back. He's just (laughs) taking the glasses off and on. He takes the glasses off and he puts on sunglasses and we do see some quick cuts of each of those shots three times, him taking off the glasses and putting on. It's very cool, okay? And then he shows up to his first class at Franklin Junior High and immediately gets his giant leather jacket sleeve stuck in the door, but he just pretends that he's, you know, a cool guy who doesn't go immediately to his seat when the teacher asks, because that's his new vibe. He's Chaz. And uh, when the teacher says that she'll be teaching this class all year, Charlie says, and I'll be disrupting it. (laughs) You know, he learned something from Mike, but it's winning, like, it's winning the class over. They're, like, cracking up. Even Claire's smiling. So his plan seems to be working. Yeah. He finds, he meets some some new friends. Mm -hmm. And... As they're like walking out of class, he says that he has to go ditch. <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's so cool. Like ditching school. Charlie has to go back to college. 
<laughs> and at college, Crickstein has, of course, found out about his enrollment because he left it up on the computer. He's like, who's Chaz? And we hear all of Charlie's dreams for Chaz. You know, Chaz is a guy who has a life. I've gone through life as Charlie Boyle. It wasn't any sleigh ride. I don't know why he's so into like Christmas and Rudolph analogies. <laughs> but today, Chaz met a whole group of guys who thought he was cool. And I'm going back tomorrow. And here's the thing. As the adult, because, you know, Charlie's parents are not present. As the adult, you think Crickstein would tell him like, oh, dude, like that isn't right. You shouldn't change yourself. Like be who you are. What does Crickstein do? (laughs) Hey, Charlie, I'm not your dad. (laughs) He's like, you're in college now. I don't care what you do as long as you get your work done. Yeah, basically, he's like, as long as you're committed to this research, I don't care. Charlie's like, I'm all about work, science, nothing else. And then Crickstein's like, but they really thought you were cool? This is an overgrown child of a man who is also socially inept, and Charlie does seem to be his best friend. <laughs> so next, you know, Charlie is working on his cool, cool vibes, doing voices in the mirror to impress Claire saying gorgeous, beautiful things like, love to love you, Claire. Terrible. (laughs) And they're having a party in the living room, and he kind of, like, peeks in on it and sees that, like, his, his roommate, Mike, is, he's, like, telling all these stories about all these scars he has, and, like, another hockey player is like, I got my appendix out once. And he, like, Mike pulls the other hockey player over and is like, it's not the scar, it's the story. And then he says another line that really gets too deep into our little impressionable scientist's head. Girls like bad boys. Mm. Mm. I just don't think that Charlie's learning the right lessons in this dorm. I don't think so either. Because the next day we see Charlie slash Chaz Roll into science class. And when I say roll, y'all, I mean literally on blades (laughs) into class. Of course. He's already received six detentions in three days. What? (laughs) I never got a detention. (laughs) Listen, same. Jahan and I don't know about this life. We would (laughs) never. I think I had to attend one once because I left school for like a religious thing. And really, I was just like, I don't belong here. This isn't my. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's gone full bad boy. And even so the boys in class, like it's very clear, you know, Chaz is crushing on Claire and his friends try to tell them like Claire's on the honor society. And, you know, she's not going to go for you. And Chaz goes, honor school girls don't like honor school boys. (laughs) No. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, to be fair, nobody, he's never had any luck being Charlie Boyle. But then, and they're just like, well, she's not going to go for you. And he's like, he then says, starts to say a line. And has to cut himself off with one of the most chaotic lines I've ever heard in my life. He's like, you know, I've analyzed the situation and now I'm implementing a strategy like any good sci. And to stop himself from saying scientist, he says, like any good psycho for the hottest chick madman would do. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, what? <laughs> we allowed this boy to go to college? <laughs> 
Um, and he's being disruptive all around. He's they're they're doing a class on a, a lecture on the skeleton in science class. He's clearly he's rigged up the skeleton to be remote controlled. And I gotta say, this does not seem like it would be particularly possible to do, let alone <laughs> easy. <laughs> because he's got this skeleton dancing around and moving all all parts, and it's very clear that it is a CGI skeleton dancing behind the teacher eventually. <laughs> the teacher thinks they're laughing at his jokes, and he's like, just because your skull is made of bones doesn't mean you have to be a bonehead. And the class is cracking up, but because he's being made fun of. Which is a very nice Charlie. Yeah. And even the teacher, when he like catches it, finally turns around and sees what's happening, the teacher's like, Basically, like, when did you turn back? <laughs> and it's like, you know, you use your powers for good rather than evil. Like, it took a lot of scientific... And then the teacher's like, yeah, like, it took a lot of scientific thought to, like, rig this up. And, you know, there are actually geniuses his age. And the teacher's, like, about to mention, you know, this genius kid at Northern, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Charlie... But before the teacher can say his name, Charlie's like, yeah, some science geek helped me rig this up. And so it's just like, ugh, ruined potential. Like, And it's clear that he's playing his cards wrong because Claire is interested in hearing about the science geek who rigged up the skeleton. So it's like, she is excited by the effort. She is excited by the the using of the brain. Honor school girls like honor school boys. Oh my God. And like when she's asking about the science geek, he's like, it doesn't matter. She's like, well, I'll wager you his future doesn't include the words. Do you want fry with that, sir? And I did just want to say on this podcast, we do not look down on any career paths. (laughs) This movie does get very elitist about education and like careers. It's very odd. (laughs) To be fair, at this age, I also was not taught. And like, it's do I feel like I was fed media that made me think college was the only option? Yes. Yes. So this is one of those pieces of media. <laughs> um, but we established that Claire does care about brains, even if Charlie hasn't totally realized that yet. So we check in on how the physics class is going. And uh, Charlie asks someone to get up and answer a question on the board. Mike gets up and draws a cartoon that looks nothing like Charlie, but is apparently interpreted by the class and by Charlie to be mocking him. And Charlie delivers a line, (laughs) the likes of which I was not expecting. (laughs) This poor boy is hurt, but he decides to launch into a Shakespearean monologue. (laughs) It's one line, but it is, oh, the irony. Savagely lampooned on my own chalkboard with a crude caricature essayed by that jatesome wag, Mike McGregor. And I really was like, did I just learn words from this deacon? (laughs) And Charlie's like, you know, I used to think you were cool, jerk. And then Charlie runs out and Mike doesn't seem to feel bad about that at all. He's like, ooh, look, I'm jatesome. I need to Google that word. I don't know it, but it concerns me. (laughs) Oh, after oh after Charlie has run out of class, he gets on the phone with his dad and dad wants to know, like, you know, what's going on? And Charlie's like, yeah, my class is openly hostile. The dorm food is bad. The gravitation, the gravidon isn't working the way he wants. Like, just listing all of his woes, including, you know, his girl trouble. 
the dad's like, you know, keep plugging away at the science stuff. Then the dad tells him, he says, to flunk the bullies or make him get a tutor. (laughs) And Charlie takes that as like, oh, I have a great idea. (laughs) Charlie decides, you know, the only way to get Claire's attention is, you know, for him to start failing at school. So Charlie gets an F in middle school. We've seen this before, Jahan. <laughs> he puts it up. He, he like puts it up on the fridge in the lab, which I thought was so funny. <laughs> he puts his first step up. But he's um, extremely happy about it. Yes, we have seen this before. Um, very mean girls. <laughs> but he's very happy to be failing because it means he can um, go up to Claire at lunch the next day and be like, hey, they're going to kick me out of school if I don't get better grades. And she's like, and I would care because Claire, you're cold as ice, girl. <laughs> and he's like, because I need a tutor and you're pretty okay. And she truly has no interest. Can't you find anyone else? He's like, no. <laughs> That's not what this is about, Claire. And he, then he, he says, I could tutor you and a few things too. Charlie, absolutely not. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is not appropriate. I really typed, please, you are a child. (laughs) But she is not interested. And he's like, well, I guess I better start practicing. And he starts asking kids if they want fries with that. And she's like, my schedule is very busy. She only has time after school before her ice skating practice. Um, And then we get a montage with an incredible song playing. For your love? (laughs) Yes, the primary lyric is for your love. I would do anything. (laughs) Um, So she's helping him on something uh, with something on the computer, and then when she turns away, he completely wrecks it. And it's like, I know what he's doing is wrong, but he's very adorable when he's smiling at her, watching her like fix the stuff on the computer. He's so cute. He's like truly so good at acting smitten. Like this child is head over heels. I'd believe that the kid was in love with Emmy Rossum. Who wouldn't be, like, as a child? <laughs> yeah, and we just keep seeing them playing around with, like, they, they, they're clearly having fun, and Claire is obviously enjoying it, too. In one scene, he does sniff her hair, which I didn't love. <laughs> and she invites him over to, his, uh, to her place to keep studying. And so when we get to Claire's house, we have a realization that Claire's dad is in fact the hockey coach at Northern. What? Oh no. <laughs> this is terrible news. We have problems here. Claire calls her dad to go meet him and Charlie is panicked. He has to quickly find like a random hockey mask on display to cover his face. And then he like immediately runs out of the room and like out of the house. <laughs> If I was Claire, I'd be like, what the heck is going on here? And honestly, you do see her be like completely shocked. Like that was extremely weird. And we cut to back to the lab with Crickstein, who is being told this story and says, I can't say I approve. And he's like, and like Charlie does say, I had to smooth things over with Claire too. And why does he say this middle-aged man lied? Where he's like, that was 20 miles of rough road on the apology turnpike. <laughs> that's definitely sitcom dad joke 
It's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh, we're watching According to Jim right now? <laughs> like, yes, dear. <laughs> and I was like, talking like that is why your only friend is a middle-aged scientist who you're gossiping with right now. <laughs> he then asks Krigstein if he's ever had a girlfriend, and he's like, yeah, sure. When you're, I was your age, I built a robot named Cheryl for the science fair, and we became very close. Not appropriate, sir. <laughs> There's um, still no sign of the Gravitron, so they're not making the progress they were hoping, but Charlie suggests that they relax, have some fun, take their minds off of it, and the doctor is like, you know what? Yeah, that's like how the Eureka Syndrome, right? That's what, and Einstein believed in it, too. Um, so Charlie's like, yes, let's relax. Come on, dance with me. And Charlie turns on some tunes and they're just dancing around the lab. And it turns out that is exactly what they needed because as they're dancing, an alarm goes off because they've isolated the Gravitron. I don't know the science of this. It's probably made up, but something about the music waves, like is what changes mm -hmm. it. But Eureka, we have some change. We have some progress. They've been thinking it was a particle, but maybe it was a wave. I don't know. Um, and he does say a groovy little house beat. Charlie, why do you talk like this? He's like a groovy little house beat. Just unlock the mysteries of the universe. Charlie. <laughs> I'd beat him up. <laughs> what? I'm kidding. He's adorable. <laughs> Child, I love kids. I'm great with kids. <laughs> anyway... Um, um, and though Crickstein's dancing again, he's like, you know what this means? We can do it, Charlie. We can change the world. And Charlie's like, okay, but later, because I'm late for science class. <laughs> Back in middle school, Chaz gets a C, and it's like, oh, hey, improvement. I guess Claire's tutoring must be working. Oi. But then we got problems, because the science teacher announces that, like, right now, he is taking the kids on a field trip to Northern to go meet the kid genius. As a teacher, my mind immediately went to, where are the permission slips? What? <laughs> what do you mean you're just going to take the class? Avery, Chaz doesn't have parents. How is he going to get a permission slip anyway? They let this boy into school with no, no parents. I have real questions. I'm like, you just can't get up and go to a college? <laughs> what? But, you know, the, the science teacher is actually doing this for Chaz because he's seen and heard, like, him accidentally say scientific things and, like, do things that take real intelligence. And he's like, it might be good for you to meet a kid your age who's not ashamed to be smart. And it's very funny because it's him. <laughs> very silly. He's like, well, it's good because he could probably use some one-on-one -on -one time with a kid who's not afraid to kick his butt. He's threatening to kick his own butt. But once he realizes that the field trip is that day... He sprints to the lab, and Crickstein's like, oh no, you can't be two places at once. And then he almost knocks over a tube of something that'll turn him six shades of purple that just happens to be in their particle lab that day. Listen, <laughs> it happens. We get the sense that there is some plan with the purple potion, um, and Crickstein is in an auditorium introducing the youngest particle physicist to ever grace the pages of the Scientific American but he explains that uh, Charlie has a terrible lab accident has left Mr. Boyle temporarily disfigured so he can only make a brief appearance. And I do not know why they decided to do what they decided to do. They really laid it on so thick. And I think even 
Krigstein is a little surprised by how far Charlie went with his disguise. Because he comes out in a wheelchair with his face completely dyed purple. And he's, like, talking in a croak. Yeah. And, like, Krigstein's like, oh, my God. And all the kids are like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and he's like, thank you, fellow teens. Do not let my gruesome appearance frighten you. I assure you that my awful pain will eventually subside. Why did they do this? <laughs> there had to be another way. It was giving me very she's the man when <laughs> when she has to be like two places at once at the, like the carnival of it. It's very much what Charlie has to go through. Because at this time, as he's sitting in a wheelchair, voice raspy, face purple, his teacher's all like, oh, like, where's, you know, Chaz? Like, he should be here, you know, listening to this. So he goes, so Charlie has to go back, wipe the stuff off his face, run back to the audience. Mm-hmm. It's a mess. <laughs> he eventually has to go back on stage, right? Yeah, because of Crickstein being, like, because Char- uh, Chaz is now in the audience and the scientist, the science teacher's like, this is the student I wanted to meet Charlie. Do you think you could bring him out for one more second? And the Krigstein's like, oh, you know, he's in too much pain. And the science teacher's like, I guess we could reschedule. And Krigstein does not want him to talk to the dean and reschedule it and make it go on any longer. And he's like, you know what? Yeah, he'll he'll be right back out. He can handle it. And truly, Charlie is like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> so Charlie has to go repurple his face. And gets put in the wheelchair again, gets in the wheelchair again, and he's like, okay, Krigstein, give me a push. (laughs) Tell me why Krigstein rockets this boy across the stage so all the kids see this little boy with a purple face go whipping across the stage. (laughs) And everyone's laughing. I don't understand how it's funny. It, It is definitely concerning, but everyone's laughing and Claire jumps up because she's noble. And she's like, you guys, someone should help him. And that is the last thing Charlie wants. He's like, no, I, I, I'm fine. <laughs> um, they wave her off. And Krigstein's like, oh, no, clearly he's in too much pain to continue this. Bye. <laughs> and it's just like true hijinks, hours, complete chaos. Very she's the man. Very big fat liar weirdness happening. It's so chaotic. And for what? <laughs> but, you know, they get away with it. The science teacher has to be like, I, the thing is, if I saw that, I would report to the dean that the scientist was allowing Charlie to partake in experiments that were extremely dangerous. But nobody cares about the well-being of the 13-year-old. He signed his life away to Northern University. <laughs> I was about to say, listen, they don't care. It's also funny, too, that like we see Charlie in the lab. We see Charlie like teaching classes, but we never see Charlie actually like taking classes. <laughs> Like college classes. Uh, So like, what is he learning here? (laughs) Are y'all really just like using and abusing this kid? (laughs) Hell. He should have gone to Harvard. Back at the dorm, Michael, or Mike, has moved back his stuff in the dorm. And he needs help with his classes because he's going to lose his scholarships if he doesn't make the grades. And he doesn't want, you know, to go spend his life lifting a forklift at a cheese factory, which is the most Wisconsin thing I have ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) And it's more of that elitist mentality about education and labor. Yes. 
But listen, he, he's come to Charlie with an open heart and open hands looking for help. <laughs> yes. And so Charlie says that he'll tutor him if he helps him with someone. And like Mike immediately knows like, what's her name? Like he knows it's a girl. <laughs> Tell me why Charlie's offering to tutor someone with what time? I know, right? Between middle school, lab, teaching, like, again, he can't do it all. But also Mike does say something that was like, I want something you you have that I don't, a future. And it's like, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah. And so Mike tells him in this moment, like, in order to get the girl, aka Claire, that he needs to do what just comes natural to him. It's the best mm-hmm. advice I think he's like gotten from an adult thus far. Absolutely. And that's a good thing because again, his roommate is a 30 year old man. <laughs> oh no. And so, you know, Charles, I mean, Charles, Charlie hopes to take this to heart. He goes and plays hockey with his junior high friends. He sees at some point, like, while they're playing street hockey. Or no, is, is it ice hockey or street hockey? It's, it's ice hockey. Yeah, it's, it's ice it's hockey. Out, yeah. Um, while they're playing ice hockey, he sees a kid, like, out on the bench. And, you know, this kid looks eerily familiar because it looks like our boy Charlie at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know... Charlie does the right thing. He does the noble thing. And he lets the kid substitute for him. It's very sweet. And, you know, it works out nicely for him because who's sitting on the bench watching? It's Claire. <gasps> Suddenly, he's got a nice seat next to the cutest girl around. And he does pretend that he, like, was winded and he didn't, that he wasn't coming out on purpose. But, um, and Claire is clearly, like, like, they, as far as, like, 10-year-old to 12-year-old chemistry goes, which is very much just like being sweeties to each other. They have it, I think. (laughs) They are sweeties to each other. (laughs) I wouldn't call it real chemistry. It's just like they, they like, I do really think they play off each other well. And Claire is like very clearly like fond of him. And she's like, you know, you want to catch a ride with me and dad to the Northern game tomorrow? And like, it's clear that like what Charlie's doing now, being himself, like Mike said, or well, not being himself, doing what comes natural, is working. But this boy is now still too caught in his web of lies. He can't go to the game with the coach's daughter. The coach, is, the coach knows who he is. Um, and it's the big Rumson game, the one they've been talking about all movie. And he, the, the lie Charlie tells, the lie Chaz tells to get out of it. I can't. I have to watch my sister. And she's like, I thought you said you were an only child. And I was like, Charlie, you've got to get out of here. <laughs> no more lies, Charlie. But instead he says, Sister Mary Catherine, she's a nun and an invalid. Please, Charlie, what? Help. So his friends are like, all right, whatever. And they leave him alone with Claire. And she's just like obsessed with snow. And is like, isn't this beautiful? And he's like, well, at least here it stays white. In Chicago, it gets dirty. You know, the mean streets. And she's like, she doesn't believe that he's tough for an instant. She's like, I know who you really are. You let the uh, you let that kid into the game. You're, and she sees the real him. And he does at this point. He's like, you talking to me? And he does an adorable little Robert De Niro Jr. impression that I loved. <laughs> I thought he did great work. (laughs) They have this really cute moment where Claire is talking about how she learned skating from her mom. 
how she used mm-hmm. to be a tomboy and wanted to be a goalie like her dad. But after seeing her mom skate, it like changed her mind. And she was like, oh, it was the most beautiful thing she's ever seen. And Chaz comes with the line, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And then he kisses her. But before he can really kiss her, some ragamuffin children throw snowballs at them, ruining one of the most iconic uh, romantic scenes I've ever seen. My God, you're the most beautiful thing. I truly lost it. Listen. He showed up with his A game. (laughs) For real, if a 13-year-old boy told 13-year-old Avery that she was the most beautiful thing he's ever seen, we'd be married. (laughs) I was going to say, you would still be with them. <laughs> I was like, no, there was literally no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's the day of the game and Crickstein's got, got to go to a conference and he's like, Charlie, why don't you go watch the game? And he's like, because half the people up there think I'm a genius and the other half think I'm a punk. So he's just going to stay down here with the accelerator, run some experiments and Actually, before the game, it seems like a maybe a bad time for him to visit, but Mike stops by before his big game. <laughs> I was like, shouldn't you be warming up? Shouldn't you be in the locker room? But he stops by and he's like, I got my midterm report and I wanted to say thanks for passing me. And Charlie's like, hey, you have nobody to thank but yourself. And it's a really sweet moment where Mike's like, sure I do. And the hockey team got Charlie his own custom boil jersey for the Northern Lights hockey team. That is the hockey team's name. I learned that in this scene and I was cracking up there, the Northern Lights. (laughs) Um, And I thought it was so sweet and I just love all of Charlie's grown man friends because again, he has no real friends. (laughs) And Mike is pretty sure they're going to win. And Charlie's like, unless they use the Rumson Rack, which is the move they've been talking about all movie, which is when they cheat. It's like they distract the ref and then they attack your best player. And Mike's just like, I mean, I don't know any way to defend against it. So I'm just going to have to trust the guys to have my back. But then Charlie's like, I might know a way. And Mike tells the team the plan. And it's that they send someone else out with his number. They get attacked. And then he can come out with a phony number. The manager's like, we still lose a player. And Mike's like, or we just lose an equipment manager. Dang. This plan is still kind of mean, Charlie. <laughs> and the coach is like, wow. Something that I found very odd is like, the coach is like, wow, how'd you come up with this, Mike? And he's like, hey, I'm a genius. You're not giving Charlie credit. I thought you guys liked Charlie now. <laughs> Dang. This is a plan that really seems like it can only work once because it's a bit of a trick, right? You, you send someone else out. Also, the equipment manager did look a lot like Mike to me, so I thought I understood how it could work. (laughs) They didn't acknowledge that he looked a lot like Mike, but I thought he did. In this moment or in this scene, one of the things that kills me is when the, I guess, Chaz's middle school friends are talking about the the Rumson team. (laughs) And they're like, yeah. Like, these guys are brutal. They're vicious. And at some point, one of them goes, yeah, they recruit exclusively for broken homes. I was like, what? Yeah, the the Rumson team is getting booed terribly. And like, one of the boys is like, wow, the Northern fans are going to drown out the Rumson fans. And the other kid's like, those are the Rumson fans. Turns out they respond exclusively to negative reinforcement. <laughs> 
Basilius. I was like, this team needs therapy, a wellness coach, help. Listen, college sports take such advantage of young people as it is, but this sounds like they're doing much worse than that. Poor Charlie is alone in this basement. He puts on his little hockey jersey as he putters around. Um, and the dean goes to talk to coach. And weirdly, they allow the coach's daughter to sit in the box with the team. Uh, and in front of Claire and the, co- uh, uh, the dean talks to the coach and is basically like reinforcing that like, if he doesn't win this game, it's over for him. Why would you do this right before the game in front of the coach's child? Inappropriate. Yeah. But the Dean clearly does not give a shit about any of that. He's been inappropriate the whole movie long. Charlie can hear the game from below. And, you know, he's upset that he's missing out. So he decides, you know, he'll go and watch for just five minutes. And when he leaves the lab, he leaves the particle accelerator on. And the alarm immediately, like, starts flashing the second he walks away. course he immediately runs into his middle school friends and they're like Chaz come on join us and they're like Chaz what happened to sister Mary please the sister Mary line is my favorite part of this movie (laughs) and he goes she got up and walked it's a miracle they're thinking of canonizing her Chaz what (laughs) Claire sees him from across the the rink and is so excited and she's like Chaz Chaz and it's like oh my goodness the romance is real and she tries to show her dad who that who Chaz is and like he immediately ducks beneath the bleachers and anyway it's finally time for the rumson rack they literally knock over the ref for this bit then turn him around and are like basically keeping him from watching the action and they demolish the equipment manager poor Hugo Hugo is is knocked out. Hugo isn't well. They go to check on him and he's like, can Zuzu come out to play? He's talking nonsense. Um, but Mike actually scores uh, because the um, the Rumson Rack doesn't work and he their trick play works instead and he's able to sneak out with a phony jersey and score. And Rumson's like, that's not fair. Y'all were cheating. I know. I was like, like the moves you guys were doing were okay. But yes, they use Charlie's play. They're winning. Charlie decides he's going to go back to the lab. But the dean spots him and tells him that he wants Charlie to do an interview with the press. And it was like, yeah, I have like great seats. Like, let's go back to the game. The dean and Charlie have seats in the player's bench. This player's bench is getting too crowded. (laughs) It's way too crowded. Anyway. Things are things are getting a little too close for comfort for my taste. I am very stressed at this point. Yes, because at this point, Claire has spotted Charlie or has spotted Chaz again. And she's like, Dad, like, that's Chaz. Like, I don't know how he got here, like how he got in the players' bench. And the dad's like, oh, no, that's Charlie. And then Claire puts two and two together and realizes that Charlie and Chaz are the same person. She's like, no, that was, they keep going back and forth for a weirdly long time where she's like, no, that's Chaz. He's like, that's Charlie. She's like, no, that's Chaz. He's been to our house. And then she's like, he wore your golden goalie mask. And then she's like, and now I know why. He was trying to hide his face. And she looks so upset. Evie Rossum stepping up to the plate in her youth. 
she's ready for her roles at the role many roles ahead of her and she gets really upset and she confronts him mid-game she's not waiting and he's like let me explain and she's like what was all of this one of your experiments you wanted to do a study of the local culture and she's like really upset because she's like imagine me thinking i could teach you and she says why would you do this to me our girl claire takes it hard <laughs> these i truly typed these prepubescent toddlers look heartbroken <laughs> and yeah she goes why would you do this to me and he tells her because he's a big fat liar and then this is where things get really bad because he realizes that he's left the particle accelerator on and the ice on the rink begins to crack. And when I say like crack, y'all, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean like crack. It's wild. Everyone has to get off the ice. There's only two minutes left in this game, but everyone has to get off the ice. Everyone's upset because the Northern Lights were were about to win but they had to pause in the middle of the game because like the rink is completely ruined claire tells charlie she never wants to see him again things get hard on us yeah the coach is like we were gonna win and it's clear that he doesn't he didn't think that they had the chance so the dean's like oh so we're not gonna win next time and it's like the coach is like thanks like claire's dad is straight up like thanks kid you probably just cost me my job which is wild. It's the dean who's inappropriate about your job. But also, like, there's so much riding on this game, and now it's all Charlie's fault. Like, so Claire already hated him, but now her dad's gonna be unemployed? Mm-hmm. Things are not looking great for old Charlie boy. Our boy Charlie has to unenroll in middle school. You know, he he keeps on trying to call Claire, like, calls her constantly, but she's refusing to take his call. At one point, he, like, hacks into the intercoms across the street with some sort of, like, mobile device strapped to his body, and he apologizes to the kids at Franklin. He, he's, uh, he's really sweet in it, too. He's like, mostly I want to apologize to my friends. You were the best ones I ever had. Oh. And he's wearing that little satellite dish above his head. It's so cute. And, like, his friends are... The, the two best friends he had are, like, Odie and Dion, and... uh Dion's like, wow, if it isn't the con artist formerly known as Chaz. And he, um, Odie's like, that was kind of cool what you did with the announcements. But Claire is now their ringleader, which is very funny because she wasn't friends with them before. And she's just like, come on, guys. He was, and he's like, I, well, I never meant it for anything. Ba- I never meant for anything bad to happen. And she's like, so you just wanted to make us look stupid for your sick, twisted pleasure. No, <laughs> she really doesn't seem to be willing to hear him out at all. <laughs> nope. I was like, Charlie, just explain that you were a lonely ass nerd, please. <laughs> and he throws himself into focusing on science and comic books because they can't hurt him. But while he, they're discussing a comic book, they decide to try to split the Gravitron, much like scientists split a proton, to see if they can finally defy gravity. Um, and they successfully split the Gravitron and make make it so that the Gravitron, the split Gravitrons mirror each other. I don't understand the fake science here, but what it is is they've basically created... Go ahead, Avery. No, I was about to say, you're doing so much better than me because I was like, I can't even explain this to the to the audience. Help. Yeah, I just, I just need to be able to, like, describe what is a fake science that you see visually over a podcast right now and what it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> is they make, by splitting their Gravitron, they make two bouncy balls that mirror each other. So when Crickstein holds one, Charlie holds the other. Whatever Crickstein does, Charlie does with the bouncy ball. So he's making him hit himself. He's like, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. And then he makes him tickle himself. And when Crickstein throws his, Charlie has to throw his. Um, and Charlie's like, do you know what this means? And Crickstein's like, the Nobel Prize. And Charlie's like, no, it means I can make amends for all the damage I've done. <laughs> okay, this, again, so much is weighing on this poor boy, as always, because that's what decoms do. <laughs> They destroy these kids. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still thinking about that Rumson match because he's like, with what I just discovered, we can help Northern beat them. And I was just like, can we? I, okay. <laughs> Tell me how. And they can win the championship and Claire's dad can keep his job and all my friends will be happy with me again and maybe Claire will like me again too. You know, he's let everybody down and he has a chance to make things right. He has to take it. And then Crickstein says something that really got me. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, you haven't let me down. And I was just like, they are best friends. They are sweet little science soulmates, and they really seem to get each other. And then Crickstein says, you saved me. Charlie, I never could have done this without you. You're more than my assistant. You're my friend. Weeping. Um, and Charlie's like, thanks, Doc, but I gotta go. <laughs> Charlie. Because Charlie is going to that the ice rink where the kids hang out, the outdoor one. And he actually has his old hair back. Um, Claire's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I need help. He's figured out a way to get the team, to help the team win by keeping Rumson from cheating. So that's the way they make this. The, I think everything that happens in the rest of the movie is an extreme moral gray area. <laughs> I think what they're doing is wrong, actually. But... The way they make it more of a moral gray area and less outright bad, do not teach children this, is they claim that Rumson is always cheating, right? The Rumson rack. They do, yeah. again, distract and hurt a ref and uh, like then hurt a player. So that is what they do. And because they are cheating, we're just stopping them from cheating. We're giving our guys a chance to win. And Claire still isn't buying it. She's like, why? So you, why do you want to do this? So you can look good? And he's like, no, so Northern can finally beat Rumson and your dad can keep his job. I'm doing it for everybody. And she still wants him to leave. She's like, why don't you just leave us alone, Chaz? And he says, he finally says, I just wanted to make things right. My name's not Chaz. It's Charlie, Charlie Boyle, and I can't do it alone. And I guess that moment of like real honesty of opening up and saying his real name First, his two buddies skate over, and then Claire follows. I thought she'd be last, but she's third. <laughs> and then a whole pack of tweens follows. Every kid on the hockey rink. We don't know any of the rest of them, but they all follow. And now, we're in the middle of Operation Rack Rumson. Yes. And our girl Claire wants to make clear that she's only helping her dad keep his job. But they have a plan set in motion. So the Franklin kids go and distract the Rumson players, like as they're coming off the bus asking for their autographs. Mm -hmm. Charlie puts these orange dots on their skates. So he like goes under the bus, like, and goes to their hockey gear and puts these orange dots on their skates. And so those dots, similar to like what Jahan explained with the science before, is that remember, like, whatever one person does, the other person, like, mirrors or, like, emulates. 
And so they're planning with using these orange dots on their skates, they're planning to control the Rumson players. So whatever Charlie does, the Rumson players will do. Monkey see, monkey do, as they explain in the movie. <laughs> yes, they really, really go in on explaining that they're microchips with the Gravitron halves. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but they, he, so he's got those microchips on the skates of the three players, and they specifically chose the three players responsible for the Rumson Rack that are ultimately planning to hurt Mike, who, remember, is Charlie's buddy, yeah. even though we have not seen him since the last game. <laughs> this is true. So all the kids are helping, right? His friend uh, Odie has a camera so they can see what's happening on the ice from under the rink. Dion is running ops and he's got the switch that will turn the gravitrons, the, the microchips on and off. And at one point, Claire is straight up like, isn't that cheating? And he's like, we only need to keep Robson from cheating. Our guys can do the rest. And I must say, I am pretty sure it is cheating. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there's, you know, there's some gray area here for sure. For sure. And, like, they don't make Rumson nearly evil enough for us to be like, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like, because you do get, you are allowed to kind of hurt people in hockey a little bit. So, like, yeah, they're doing it. They're distracting the ref and they're being extremely aggressive. But I wasn't like, they deserve what Charlie is planning. I was truly like, at this point, like, maybe you just stop meddling and focus on apologizing, Charlie. But that would mean we wouldn't have the end of the movie. <laughs> um... And just at the wrong moment, like, everyone's like, but why, by the way, where's the professor? And he's like, oh, I, I arranged his schedule, so he's out. He's never down here. And right then, Crickstein arrives and is like, Charlie, this has gone way too far. And I was like, oh, now you choose to care? Right. This kid has been, you know, lying, doing things that he's not supposed to do. And now he's like, oh, you've taken it too far. And it is, this is tough on Charlie, because he's like, because Crickstein's like, I look the other way when you almost destroyed the accelerator, but I can't do that again. It's got to stop and it's got to stop right now. And poor Charlie, this is, remember, his only friend, his best friend. He's like, I thought you were on my side. Kirkstein's like, you're putting everything we've worked for at Jeopardy. I've all, I'm on your side, but I've always been about science first. And Charlie gives this beautiful speech where he's like, science ahead of what? You could solve all the mysteries in the world, but what would it mean without friends? And he wants to, he just wants a chance to make up for all the selfish things he did. I don't think he was that selfish. I think he was lonely, but you know, nobody cares. <laughs> I don't think he outright did anything that terrible. Um, so he's like, that means everything in the world to me. So please help me. And Crickstein's like, I'm sorry, Charlie, I can't be at party to this. And leaves, but he's still letting it happen. Crickstein, what? Right. <laughs> he does not shut anything down. And so Charlie and his friends, we have the plan in place. We are ready to stop the Rumson rack. Charlie, again, because he's on the basement, like controlling the players on the rink, which immediately got fixed, like so quickly after those major damage. But I digress. Uh, Charlie has the Rumson player kick the ref, gets him sent to the penalty box. Mm -hmm. uh, for the other two players, he and Claire have the players like twirling on the ice. And so they're looking ridiculous and silly in front of the crowd. Which is when I started to be like, yeah, this is no longer just stopping the cheating. You didn't have them just miss. You are embarrassing them. But okay. <laughs> but like, you know, Claire is doing her little like figure skating moves and that's what they're doing above. Yeah. 
And so we're looking for the last chip to control the last player. Right, because he's now out of the penalty box and he, he sees his teammates distracted, but he's still heading straight for Mike to, to end his career, basically. <laughs> but they can't find the other chip. Because who has the other chip? Our boy Crickstein! <laughs> Why does he come skating back in with the third chip? Because this boy is his best friend, I swear to God. <laughs> um, but he can't skate. My science prince. <laughs> <laughs> so Crickstein, he skates through the lab. He runs into the accelerator breaker. There's sparks. <laughs> Which causes them, both the hockey players and Crickstein, Charlie, and Claire, to defy gravity. So they're floating in the air. At this point, I typed, first of all, this is the scene I most remember from this movie. I just, like, have such a distinct memory of Emmy Rossum floating in roller skates. Like, so when I said, let's watch Genius, I was thinking of this moment. And... They're like, we did it. We defied gravity. And I was like, at this point, it's definitely cheating. You got three other players in the air. <laughs> but, you know, with three players in the air, Mike is able to score, which means Northern wins. And I guess we're supposed to be okay with it because they would have won the original game if Charlie hadn't blown up the ice, I guess. Uh, and this is just like setting history right. <laughs> I Yes. And um, they explained that we've reversed the charge. We must have reversed the charge of the Gravitrons. Um, so now they're repelling against the positive charge of the Earth, of course. And everyone's celebrating. The Dean is like, Coach, you're going to be here a long, long time. And the Dean is like looking at the floating hockey players who no one seems to have any concerns about. And it's like, now that's what I call publicity. The hockey players even seem to start having fun with it. They're swimming around a little bit. And then Claire and Charlie, we don't see Crickstein in this moment, which is very funny because you have to remember, out of frame, there has to be a middle-aged man yeah, floating I next say, to him. He's still floating! <laughs> but we get this beautiful one-on-one -on -one moment with Claire and Charlie, and Claire says, I'm proud of you. And I will say, I don't know what she's proud of him for because this is the most morally bankrupt thing he did the whole movie long. It's much worse than pretending to be in school so you can make friends. <laughs> whatever she's proud of him and they kiss in the air and i'm just like where's crickstein he has to be right there um and i was like are they still like if the gravitrons are on aren't the hockey players kissing i don't know the science is <gasps> oh i didn't even think about that the science is very confusing at this point i didn't even think about that and we end the movie with them picking hockey teams Everybody's getting picked. Nobody's getting left on the bench. Charlie picks that kid who was like stuck on the bench earlier. And then the it's Charlie's turn to pick and he's like, you're, get, you're, you're sticking me with him. And it's Crickstein who is now learning to play hockey with his buddies. I'm glad he has friends. <laughs> uh, Dr. Crickstein needs friends his own age. I'm just going to throw it out there. But who? <laughs> Maybe... <laughs> Maybe Mike, because he's also a middle-aged star. <laughs> and Mike shows up with the hockey team, and Charlie and every Charlie's like, do you want us to get off the ice? And they're like, oh no, we need somebody to play against if you're interested. And it's like, this is the moment where the hockey team like seems to forgive him, which is very funny because we never saw the hockey team mad at him. Mm. <laughs> like obviously the hockey team was mad that the game was postponed but they never showed any of that mm. <laughs> so now we're like 
seeing this nice moment with Mike, who, as far like, it, it must have been upset, but it's like, we heard about what you did. Thanks. And he's like, Charlie's like, how'd you find out? It turns out the coach told them. Seems like the coach's daughter talks in her sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was, what was crazy to me was like, okay, Claire told her father and he was fine with it. Because as a coach, shouldn't he have been like, oh, absolutely not. That's not how we win games. Listen, the man got to keep his job. <laughs> I guess he's got to, you know, take care of his child. He's got, he's got a family to think of. I just think this movie has a slightly askew moral compass. And they're like, okay, we'll play with you Northern hockey team on one condition. You get Crickstein. And Crickstein's like, if you want, I can float. And that's it. The movie ends with presumably these children getting absolutely wrecked by these adult semi-professional hockey playing men. (sighs) A wild ride. I learned the word japesome. Interesting. What a silly, silly movie. <laughs> I I was I was gonna say definitely a silly film. Mm-hmm. Not what I expected at all. Like just at all. It was good. It was cute. Is it my favorite hockey movie? It's not even our favorite hockey decom. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> Is it my favorite? Meh. You know. One day we'll do an episode on the Mighty Ducks trilogy, but... They're not decoms, but they're perfect. <laughs> Proof me wrong. Listen, Disney made those, right? They still made, they still Disney movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Disney, if you're listening and you're trying to sue us or take this podcast down, hear us out first. <laughs> because if you're listening, we have other bad news, but... <laughs> but hear us out. We want to do for the Mighty Ducks... What Ryan Coogler did for the Rocky movies. So please, reach out to us. To be fair, they recently brought the Mighty Ducks back and I did not touch it. Uh, Yeah, I did it. I was like, this is the perfect sports trilogy. No one can prove me wrong. I can't watch a remake. Although, weirdly, a Mighty Ducks star is in Shameless with Emmy Rossum. Hey! Season one, yeah. We don't need to go into that. Okay. But let's talk about cast and everything else. Um, But wait, before we do that, we need to ask Adam. Of course. Let's go to Adam's corner. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to. There there were really a surprisingly low amount of reviews, probably just because this movie is so old. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I share all these sentiments. It was kind of that weirder corner of DCOMs. Like I said, pre recording, it was kind of like one of the last hurrah of the 90s in terms of like mm-hmm. the jokes you know that broken homes joke made me almost literally spit out my water when I heard it and yeah just all the you know the it's almost I, I'm sure they took inspirations from you know comic book superheroes with the dual personalities having to be both places at once kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah I mean it was the 90s so there's not gonna be a lot of reviews but I had to scrub through Letterboxd and IMDb And IMDb, I guess, archives, you know, reviews from the newspapers and magazines. So some of these reviews are like 20 years old. Um, So let's get started. These are the first ones are from Letterboxd. I'm sure they're Mm -hmm. a little bit sooner. There's no date on any of these. They're super quick. These are like four reviews. Definitely one of the best concepts out of the DCOM so far, but poorly executed. Also, this kid's a loser, LMAO. 
we as a society should bring back shoving nerdy men into lockers. And then this last one uh, for the uh, letterboxed is what a goofy movie. And I thought that was funny because, you know, a goofy movie. Anyway, um, and this one is from September 1999. It's a nine out of 10. There's no there's no name. It's just, you know, like a username ID with a bunch of numbers. So uh, I must say I was truly amazed by this movie. I've been puzzled as to why on earth I bother watching all the Disney Channel movies after such disappointments like Can of Worms, Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century, <gasps> and the awful Smart House, to name a few. <laughs> Go to hell. Not our <laughs> namesake. I didn't think Disney could make a decent <laughs> TV movie. But here it is. This movie is really genius. Instead of going from cheap comedy and typical overblown plots, Disney made something that is nice and most importantly, can make this stone-faced critic laugh a lot. So how did Disney do it? How did they make something funny? Well, the cast is great, especially the young Trevor Morgan as Charlie, who has some very clever and quick lines. A script that doesn't fall into embarrassing, unfunny, clinch situations of another, which is so typical for this type of Disney movie. Then again, it was maybe a science experiment they tried with a completely accidental result. So if then a hooray for science, nine out of 10. Just this last paragraph of describing what, what I would describe as what it exactly falls into, but is what we love it for anyway. And he just kind of, I'm assuming it's a him. I'm assuming it's a him. Just kind of redeems it in the last paragraph for the script and Trevor Morgan. And the fact that it had science. This man liked the dad jokes. I, that's Yeah, that's got to be what it was. But a nine out of 10 that was Listen, scathing in the first pair. It was, I mean. <laughs> I had fun watching this movie for how weird and of the moment it was. I would never say it was better than Smart House or Xenon. <laughs> Listen, we haven't reviewed Xenon on this pod yet. What if I, it turns out I hate, I, I love Xenon. I'm to call Smart House <laughs> and Xenon awful and then to give this movie a nine out of 10 is what just baffles me. I like the thing is I love this movie as a kid and again I very dis have very distinct memories of like how cool I thought all of that reflecting roller skating stuff what mirroring roller skating ice skating stuff was and the floating the floating was very memorable for me I did not watch this today and yesterday and say that was good <laughs> I did not think and this was a, this sounds like an adult critic yeah it's I think this is like one of, like I this is from the 90s so I'm assuming this isn't like a magazine or like a TV tv guide or you know one of those Amazing. yeah uh sorry but please continue okay i have two i have two more here um they're pretty quick this one is a 10 out of 10 but i think and this is also mm -hmm. from september 1999 so i don't know what we're dealing with here but wowie is the subject i must say this was a fab flick trevor morgan was as steady as ever combining technique and timing for a flawless performance other notables include yannick trembley as a strong chin captain and daryl pring as the slightly overpowering but energy-filled bear brzezinski dot 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 what a handsome fella dot 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 that was written by somebody who's related to that person right like like i said this is uh this is imdb from september 2nd 1999 and it's like this it's from big d 18 <laughs> okay uh i'll cut that out i'll cut that out <laughs> and this next one is a 10 out of 10 from jenny babe 25 so i like I don't, I don't know who these people are. And this is from 2006. The subject is Hottie Boy Charlie. 
<clears throat> here we go. This is my favorite one. This is the last one. This is my favorite one. Oh, my Lord. I absolutely adore this movie. It was most excellent. Charlie Boyle is a beast. When I first saw it with my granddaughter, I was obsessed. <laughs> I mean, it was so well written and the plot line was great. <laughs> I'm calling Dateline. <laughs> Much better than a lot of Disney movies I've seen, with the exception of Xenon Girl of the 21st Century and Brink and Johnny Tsunami. I would recommend this movie for anyone who is even considering to watch it. It is a happy tale about a struggling boy to become a man at college at the age of 14. <laughs> a lot of ads in that sentence. He learns that being cool is not the most important thing. Charlie's other person named Chaz is way hot, with the exception of his hair and can skeletons dance. Two thumbs way up. <laughs> That's got to be a highlight Listen. review. Sounds like she has great taste in movies. So, or you, I don't know, they have great taste in movies. I love the turnaround of saying Charlie Boyle is a beast and then saying when I first saw it with my granddaughter, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, that was, I, I think Avery and I both experienced a very real whiplash in that. Absolutely. Uh, oh my goodness, what a wild ride of a review that one was. <laughs> Just... And again, that was from Jenny Babe, and that was a 10 out of 10. Jenny Babe with the grandchildren from 2006 those those kids are probably as old as us those grandkids are probably as old as us sure so uh, wow <laughs> had to get that off my chest as soon as i saw it yeah yeah there you go thank you yeah so let's let's talk cast we've got i mean i think let's talk about the big one first right let's emmy rossum this is what i know emmy rossum from which is so funny like, when I went to see The Day After Tomorrow in theaters, when it came out, when we were tweens, loved that movie in theaters. I God, am that was like... obsessed with Day After Tomorrow. We... <laughs> we used to go to my great uncle's house in Arkansas, and literally my brother and I would just watch Day After Tomorrow every day that we were there. What they captured in that movie was, I am sure there was appeal for adults. I am sure there was appeal for, like, actual teens. But I actually think it's the perfect end of the world movie for tweens. Yeah. Because, like, we all were in love with, like, we were all obsessed with Dennis Quaid, so we wanted to watch a movie where he was there. <laughs> then it's, like, just the level of, like, dramatic romance where you're, like, as a tween, it feels very important. So I totally understand y'all watching it. But what, I, what happened for me is I sat in that theater, and this movie started, and I wasn't like, Jake Gyllenhaal, Dennis Quaid. I was like, that's the girl from Genius. And I swear to you, it is the first time I can remember that happening to me. Because I, like, it was the first time I recognized an actor. <laughs> Such a funny, like, because I don't think I, like, often, like, was like, oh, this actor was in this and then this. I But in that movie, it wasn't like, oh, that's Dennis Quaid from The Parent Trap. It was, that's the girl from Genius. And I, like, felt like I had a galaxy brain. I felt like I was, like, putting together a great secret of the universe because I was like, that movie that I love, that nobody else has seen, that's who she is. That's where she's from. That, just, like, so it's such a like core memory for me because now I feel like my whole job in my family is being the person to be like, yeah, she's from this. <laughs> but that's where it started. <laughs> I, I love it. And I love, like, I think that she did such a 
a wonderful performance in this. It's so funny to me that like, she sounds like a, like even though she's like a tween or a teen in this movie, like she very much like sounds like an adult. Like sometimes her voice for me in this movie, I was like, are you 12 or are you 18 or 20? Like, I don't know if it's like her voice. I don't know. She just very mature and very like put together, even at a young age. I really enjoyed this young Emmy Rossum performance. Yeah, and I think she did a great job. You know, like, she's been all over the place since then. Like, she is definitely the biggest star from this movie. Within five years of this movie, she is starring in Phantom of the Opera, which was a massive success for her. She, um, she's been in a bunch. She won a Young Artist Award for this role in Genius, which is cool. Hey! We thought she did a great job. So did others. Obviously, 2004, The Day After Tomorrow... What a big year for her 2004 was. She was having, the only person having a bigger year in 2004, Lindsay Lohan. (laughs) What wasn't she doing in 2004? (laughs) Didn't Lindsay have like three or four movies come out that year? Yeah. Mean Girls. When did Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen come out? 2003? I think it might have been, I think it might have been 2004. (laughs) I don't know. 2004, big year. It was good. Yeah, Confessions is also 2004. Rachel McAdams was having a big 2004 because she, that's the, okay, the three biggest 2004s. Emmy Rossum, Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, who had Mean Girls and The Notebook out that year. (laughs) Sorry. I just had in the back of my head that somebody else had had a massive 2004. (laughs) Big year. What a year for movies. My God. (laughs) That's cinema. That's what we're missing. (laughs) So she was then I remember she was in Poseidon. She was in that really terrible Dragon Ball Z live action. And then eventually in 2009, she was cast in Shameless where she would stay for seven years until I think a pay dispute led to her leaving. But she was really, you know, I Shameless is not my kind of show. All the characters are too terrible (laughs) at their core. And it really stressed me out. Um, but I did watch a lot of it because of a deep love for Emmy Rossum, as well as Jeremy Allen White, star of the bear. Hey! <laughs> yeah, so I think she's doing a lot of great work. She actually, I know this just because I was watching Modern Love, and her name showed up because she directed one of the Modern Love episodes. Hey! Yes, I didn't like the episode, but I was proud of her. <laughs> Wait, which episode was it? It was the one with, what's her name, that... N- that young blonde girl dating an older coworker. <gasps> oh, yeah. Okay. I know exactly what you mean. Okay. Say less. No more. We're it good. was the worst episode. <laughs> yeah. But that's not her fault. She got a bad modern love story. <laughs> She's still working. She is married to a director who she often collabs with. You know him and love him as the creator, writer, and director behind Avery's favorite show, Mr. Robot. <gasps> oh really <laughs> yeah i didn't know that they were married they are they are um yeah very cool and yeah i think she is a talented actor and i will probably watch anything she does at least an episode of anything she does i can't do it all shameless that's too much <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about our boy trevor morgan Yes, Charlie Boyle and Chaz Anthony. He can do it all. I know him from two things. 
I knew him from The Sixth Sense because he plays the bully in that. And he's like the asshole kid who's like the actor who like is in a commercial and thinks he's cooler than everybody else. Mm. We hate him. But then I also knew him from Jurassic Park 3, the kid that's like missing on the island and like the reason why they have to return to find him. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I've not seen The Sixth Sense in many, many years. So I absolutely only know this boy from genius. But that's so, so yeah. Okay, I didn't know he had very many other roles, but that's great. Yeah, it seems like he's done, those are the two things that I knew him from, but it seems like he's done a lot of TV spots, like an episode Mm -hmm. here, an episode there. Yeah, it seems like he had a real moment, like, of being around at the same time in the same area as Haley Joel Osment, and he was, like, not getting the Haley Joel roles, but he was getting some other roles in the same type of things, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Very tough. That's like how Christy Carlson Romano talks about Anne Hathaway. <laughs> She's always like, we were auditioning for the same things. And I was like, and Anne was booking all of them. I'm so sorry, Christy. <laughs> Actually, that's something I thought about a lot watching Emmy Rossum. I was like, she must have been like just a little bit younger and up for all of the same, th- or the same age and up for all of the same things. Because she felt very like, I just watched The Princess Diaries with my grandparents last night. Wait, I just watched said this on the podcast before but Avery and I are soulmates and that's why we're both alone because <laughs> nobody will ever meet our expectations for each other I promise you I was like Chris Pine has been in the media lately I just need to return back to a better time when he was like my everything and I watched Princess Diaries 2 over the weekend and wore my Genovia shirt that you bought me. so funny because I put on number one and I was like yeah let's get some Sandra O. Oh. <laughs> Because that clip of her with the queen uh, at the queen's funeral was going around. And like, so everyone was posting, Gupta, uh-huh. Uh-huh. the queen is coming to Grove High School. I didn't need to deliver the whole thing, but I did. Um, yeah. And so, <laughs> but I watched it last night and I, I was getting very like even younger Anne Hathaway vibes. I know we've said this on our last episode about another actress, but that's what I was feeling from Emmy Rossum. Mm-hmm. And so Trevor, it doesn't seem like he's done much since 2018, but he did work pretty like consistently in a couple things per year from like 97 to 2018. So that's impressive, at least. Yeah. I want to talk about the old man Ray <laughs> lookalike, <laughs> also known as Mike, the hockey player. Yannick mm-hmm. Beeson Bison? So, interesting enough, this man has been on the Murdoch Mysteries show playing Detective Murdoch for the past, like, 14 years. Like, I've literally never heard of the show, never seen this man in my life. I think it's a... So, I think he's Canadian, and I think this is, like, a Canadian show. hmm I've definitely seen the poster for it, like, on a streaming platform. Like, it may be on Prime. I swear I've seen the poster for it. But yeah, like he's played the same character, Detective Murdoch, going on like 14 years now. That's amazing. I love that he has consistent work. He did a great job pretending to be 10 years younger than he was in this movie. <laughs> and then funny enough, 
the dean in this movie, Dean Wallace, um, mm-hmm. he also was in the Murdoch mystery <laughs> mysteries. Um, he too is Canadian and has been like consistently working. So yeah, I just love when like people in DCOMs go and like do the same projects or like work together later in their careers. It's always fun. The film's director directed the original Teen Wolf movie. Mm-hmm. He also directed Home Alone 4, Beethoven 2nd. He gave us a lot of the sequels of our child. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I also saw that he directed Alley Cat Strike Back. <gasps> You're kidding. I hadn't gotten there. That's amazing. Yeah, he directed Alley Cat Strike. Wow. He's a star. Oh, Strike. Sorry. I don't know where the back came from. <laughs> Another recurring DCOM director. Mm-hmm, hmm Great cast. Very weird movie. What do we think is the takeaway from this movie? What should the youths be taking away from from 1999's genius? Well, hopefully they take away the lesson of being yourself. Mm. Hopefully they don't take away the lesson of lying, cheating, and stealing to, like, make it up to your friends. I don't know. Like, yes, friendship. I would agree that friendship is one of the most important things in life. And maybe, yes, more important than science and work. All true things. But I don't think that means you should um, maybe cross the boundaries of right and wrong as willy-nilly as Charlie did. Yeah. Yeah. But I do love the be yourself message. Go yeah. Ahead, I, no, for sure. I think that definitely, like, being natural and, like, not having having to pretend to like be someone else or be something else for people to like you. Mm-hmm. I think that was that was really important. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Any other? Oh, I did have one thought, which was Ooh. okay. Both of our stars, Trevor and Emmy, were thirteen. Okay. They probably filmed this when they were twelve-ish, which is why they probably look tenish. I don't know, <laughs> but it's so funny because in the year two thousand six. When High School Musical came out, we could not get a kiss between two 17-year-olds. We got a kiss between two 12-year-olds in this film. Mm. 99 was the wild, wild west of decoms. I mean, they just let you do anything back then. (laughs) They really did. There there was so little thought put into the science and what was happening. The I I think Dr. Krigstein looks very familiar to me because he's a stand-up who's performed a lot of tiny roles across very many films and oh. movies. But I don't know him from anything specific. I just like something about him like looks so familiar to me. Mm. But I feel like he also probably pops up in a lot of places. <laughs> this was a memorable film. A weird one. And I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. I'm glad I I'm glad I got to see this. Another decom on my list that I've seen amazing thank you so much for listening we've been from a to xenon you can find us online at from a to xenon on twitter you can find me at jahan413 adam is at the podcast adam across all platforms and avery i'm at camille says 36 if you've got an email to send us with a crush maybe you're feeling the way charlie feels about claire about someone you send that to supernovagirls2049 at gmail.com I don't think I've requested crushes the past couple episodes so it's gotta get back on that you request a crush every episode Jahan listen good (laughs) (laughs) 
Especially if you have a crush on one of us. <gasps> I Wow. <laughs> the joy and excitement on Avery's face. He is engaged. He is Listen, I can't rat people out. But I will say Adam's Corner is a very popular segment amongst my friends. <laughs> oh my goodness. Adam, wow. <laughs> I'm going to deflect off of that. And I will say, as someone who has edited the past, all the episodes, uh, you have requested crushes on every episode. <laughs> wow. Called out. Oh, the irony. <laughs> what does he say? Lambasted on my own podcast <laughs> by the Japesome Wags, Avery and Adam. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, That's boy. it for us. 